0: Here on CBS Sports, that's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, and uh, it is that time of year where, you know, all of the other parts of college football do, um, you know, just really an imitation of what the Cover 3 podcast has been doing all season. And that is handing out these awards. Uh, And as we go through this week, a lot of the position awards are going out. Clearly on Saturday, uh, we are going to have the Heisman Trophy is going to be awarded this week. Right now on CBSSports.com, the CBS Sports All-America team is live. So go and check that out. Tom and I are going to break that down, uh, identify some of the spots where we as voters had easy and or difficult decisions, maybe uh, reveal some pieces of our ballot, But first, uh, to tackle some news and headlines from across college football, the first is uh, Ohio State going defensive coordinator shopping after having Matt Barnes, not that Matt Barnes, as the play caller uh, midway through the season, or early season really, Ryan Day is deciding to go and hire a new defensive coordinator and he goes and he just gets simply one of the best defensive coordinators that we've seen in college football, not just this year, but really over the last two years as a Oklahoma State success has been with a, a good, well-coached veteran-led defense, though uh, obviously we've got some some younger players on that Cowboys defense that have really thrived this season. So Jim Knowles is going to be the new defensive coordinator at Ohio State, feels like a a rich get richer kind of a move on the assistant coaching carousel. I'm sorry to Oklahoma state fans. I mean, he's been a huge part of the reason why you were up in the top 10 and beating Oklahoma. But, uh, but for the Buckeyes, you know, what do you see in terms of uh, Jim Knowles arrival in Columbus?
1: Well, you kind of touched on it. Like Danny and Bud aren't here. So I was joking around that we were going to talk, you know, do a champions league preview, but, I didn't mean to bring this kind of comparison up right away, but transfer window. Like how no, but how is this different to you than like the Premier League or any other like the best teams in the country now are just sucking up everything that they want because they have more money than everybody else? So if you're a great coordinator somewhere and another like a team competing for a national title needs a coordinator, they're gonna you know grab you. If you're a head coach now, like that that's the funniest thing. We we've seen it in this coaching cycle where Notre Dame and Oklahoma are losing their coaches to other jobs, which is just like this strange kind of thing that you just don't typically see. And now I feel like Knowles is probably going to be the start of the same kind of movement on the coordinator front where coordinators aren't like, not to say this is the first time this has ever happened. But in the past, it's like if Jim Knowles is leaving Oklahoma State, it's probably to become a head coach somewhere. Oh, sure. Now he's leaving. Like he was mentioned, if he was mentioned as a candidate for the Duke job, and now instead of leaving to become a head coach, he's just going to go be a defensive coordinator at Ohio State for a lot more money than what he's already getting. So it's yeah, it is definitely a rich get richer move, but I think it's a good move for both parties because I do think if you're Jim Knowles, like right now, you did an amazing job with that Oklahoma State defense. Like you, you showed up in Stillwater and kind of changed the narrative surrounding that program. Like this was always a team that was, you know, just a high flying offense scoring 45 points per game and just trying to outscore opponents. And it was never known for its defense. He came in and now it's when you think of Oklahoma State these days, the first thing you think of is oh, that's a great defense. The offense needs to catch up. So it's good for him in that now he's going to Ohio State and where he's going to be working just like he had he's had good players at, at Oklahoma State, but at Ohio State he's going to have NFL players. He's going to be at a team recruiting NFL talent. And this means that if he's able to kind of turn around or improve an Ohio State defense that has been that team's Achilles heel for the last few years, he's still going to be in line for head coaching jobs, but he'll probably be in line for much bigger jobs than Duke. And I think that's probably a factor in his decision here, too. And I think that if you're Ohio State, this makes a ton of sense, not just because he improved Oklahoma State's defense, but it's how we improved it. Like, he, he mostly runs a four-two-five, which is pretty common these days, but... Ohio State's biggest problem the last few years defensively, like at least as far as I've concerned, that I've mentioned it is like we talk about their secondary and it's not great, but a part of it has been just the lack of overall pass rush. Like this is a team that has had very good defensive linemen as far as recruiting ratings and talents and all that stuff. But since the Bose's left, since Young left, they haven't really had a dominant pass rush. What did Oklahoma State lead the country in this year? Sacks. It was first in total sacks, it was first in sack rate, and it was fifth in pressure rate. I'm sure that played a huge part in Ryan Day looking at Jim Doles and saying, that's the guy I want to get. And this is also Ryan Day's third defensive coordinator hire in three years, so clearly he understands it's a problem, but he's been trying to fix it for a while. I think they might have this found the solution here, though.
0: How do we look at Ryan Day as a... Um as someone who has to put together a staff, I, I think that's something that we brought up a lot on the Cover Three podcast recently that is not part of the discussion that I've always had, but I've been, you know, turned on to it. For example, like James Franklin clearly is good at identifying coaches who can go on to be successful. Uh, is Anthony Poindexter official yet at Virginia?
1: It is not, but all the wind seems to be blowing in the direction that it's probably only a matter of time.
0: I think that would be four. Joe Moorhead, Ricky, Ronnie, Brent Pry, and Anthony yeah, Poindexter, former Penn State assistants that have gotten head coaching jobs. He's
1: going to be losing both his defensive coordinators in the same coaching cycle.
0: Hey, whatever, man. That bag, 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 still weighs <laughs> the same. Um, I, I, I think that that is something that is interesting for Ryan Day because here's what I, I do plus value for Ryan Day: game planning, play caller. Uh, You know, putting together an offense from a scheme perspective and recruiting, specifically loading up a quarterback in a wide receiver room to be able to win. Uh, What is it that Ryan Day said on CBS Sports HQ with Dennis Dodd is like you run the ball to win the games, you throw the ball to win championships. It is clear what his mindset is, but Ohio State defending that pass was a huge issue uh, the year prior, and then this year, the pass rush, as you mentioned, very disappointing considering the personnel. So I am I think that this is an interesting challenge in Ryan Day's young career as a head coach relatively to see if he's good at identifying and being able to bring in the right personalities as well as what is the best available. Because Jim Knowles is one of the best defensive coordinators based on performance exclusively in this season in the entire country. So it does feel very, um, very soccer you know very transfer window very like well we've we've got all the resources we've got all the money we've got all the best players let's just man city this thing and have a what 350 million dollar bench like let's just come on come on let's just let's just get more and more and more of it right now
1: yeah i mean it's some clubs buy players some clubs sell players <laughs> and we see what ohio state is it's it's buying coaches it's oh I almost said buying players, but that could cause a lot of problems.
0: That would never happen in college football.
1: I'm not, uh, I'm not alleging any of that took place. It was a more, it's just an analogy a comparison to soccer where they legitimately buy players.
0: So the uh, Ohio state defensive side of the ball, I, I've mentioned this a few times during the season, but I am, uh, I do think that there's probably a personnel upgraded on the back end of that defense. And it's that unfair thing that I do with Alabama. It's the unfair thing that I do, you know, with a a Clemson where you're comparing the current roster to these other rosters in the past. And and you're saying, okay, well, you know, remember when you had certified pros uh, that were going to be first, second round draft picks at all three levels of the defense. And I didn't, I didn't feel that way as much this year. Now they're they're very talented, and of course you get into the combine situation. Ohio State's going to end up having a lot of NFL draft picks, but I do wonder if you know Jim Knowles. One of the tasks is going to be being able to identify, evaluate, recruit players to level up, such that we get back to that point where how many years in a row was it where it was just another. Ohio State defensive back. You know, they just they were one after Mm -hmm. another after another. And it seems like we've had a little bit of a break in in that cycle.
1: Yeah, I I think losing Jeff Halfley to Boston College definitely played a role there because he was a very good coach in the secondary before becoming a defensive coordinator. But I, I just think that... Like it's it's one of those things you, you you mentioned like comparing it to previous iterations of that same program's defense or offense. I think it's there's also the context that when you look at Alabama or Ohio State or schools like that, you compare it to the current roster. And when you look at Ohio State, like they have a really good offensive line, they have the best receivers in the country, they have a Heisman finalist quarterback, they've got excellent defensive linemen and linebackers, and it's like compared to the rest of the roster, it's like oh, the secondary doesn't look nearly as good. But that secondary is probably one of the best secondary. Like, I mean, there's the a chance. whole teams in the country who'd be like, "I'll take all four of those guys right now and put them in the top of my depth chart." If you don't think they're that great, so there's always that kind of context alongside with it. And I do think that, like, the other secondaries, like those guys, the Akudas and those guys, they benefited from playing behind Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, but
0: if, like, uh, uh, you know, Denzel Ward, Marshawn yeah, Lattimore, all I mean, great like, players, like, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, they're all great players, but they also didn't have to cover guys very long because they had a pass rush that was getting to the QB and if not getting the sack, at least forcing the throw out sooner. So it's like it's easy. Ask any defensive back in the country. It's easier to cover a guy for three seconds than it is for five. Like it's
0: impossible to do it for five. And as you mentioned before, you go and you find the defensive coordinator who had a defense that was leading the way in the smart and the dumb stats. You know, the total sacks, the sack rate, the pressure rate. Uh, He checks all the boxes. There is nothing too mainstream or too hipster. Jim Knowles was one of the best defensive coordinators in the entire country, and Oklahoma State had one of the best defenses, uh, a good hire for the Buckeyes. Um, Max Johnson is going to be in the transfer portal. His brother has decommitted from LSU. We have this uh, this interesting part of the calendar where there's just going to be a lot of player movement anyway. But if you're Brian Kelly uh, and you're stepping into a position where, reportedly, you know you are going to extend an opportunity to some of your former assistants to come and join you, and re- reportedly, but they clearly have stayed uh, with Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish moving forward. You've got some LSU players, Max Johnson, clearly at the, the front of the line. Who are deciding that they want to take their talents elsewhere? Do you have any concern about the immediate future for Brian Kelly's LSU program? Yeah.
1: It's, I mean, it's it's one of those weird things where you're kind of caught in the moment and a lot can change between now and next fall when that roster's finalized and taking the field. But does he had a does is he hired an offensive coordinator yet? I don't think so. Has
0: he hired a defensive coordinator yet? He's got, well, I tell you what, he did do is Frank Wilson, who was like a long time yeah. running backs coach at uh, LSU, you know, was responsible for all of those like NFL bound running backs that seemed to come in one after another. Fantastic recruiter, huge in the state of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Like that, like Brian Kelly, I think like, the first thing that Frank Wilson can do is just tell you to like speak in your normal tone. Yep. And you know, <laughs> let, let Frank Wilson do all the like Louisiana translation that you, you need, but, uh, but that was like that would be my balance. Like I'm looking at, at the staff hasn't quite come together. I'm not quite sure exactly what's going to happen. You let uh, Tommy Moffitt, the strength and conditioning coach, who'd been there for mm-hmm. almost 20 years, you let him go because for me, alarm bells were going off. The, the, one of the few positives that has me calming how c- my concern is the hire of Frank Wilson.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a big hire because Frank, like you said, Frank Wilson is so like he left a head coaching job for this to become the, he's going to be the associate head coach. And I'm not sure they, they haven't decided what his other title is going to be. It depends on how Brian Kelly fills out the rest of his staff, but he's just, yeah, he's a tremendous asset to have. If you're Brian Kelly, if you're new to that area and you don't really have a ton of connections around because Frank Wilson knows everybody, everybody knows Frank Wilson, everybody respects Frank Wilson. So that's huge. But That aside, you need to get coordinators. You look at the transfer portal; you're losing guys. Mac Johnson is the latest. With Johnson leaving, they're down to two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster right now. And like, this is the one kind of thing. Like Brian Kelly, for all the success he's had, it's he's always been a quarterback guru. Who, in my mind, has never really developed like a great quarterback. And now you're losing this one. So obviously, this is we're in an age where. I mean, you can change things quickly. Like, Max Johnson is in the transfer portal. A lot of quarterbacks are in the transfer portal. Maybe Brian Kelly's going to just go hand pick the guy he wants, and that guy will end up at LSU, and everything will be fine. And we'll move on, because that is the most important thing outside of his coaching staff that he could do is find a quarterback. But this is a situation where, like, LSU, the, Ed Orgeron got fired for a reason. It wasn't just wins and losses. There were problems on this roster that this team just wasn't as good as LSU wants. And so with what's the transfer the the transfer churn and all that kind of stuff, it'll be interesting to see how quickly he's able to remodel that roster. But if I'm an LSU fan, like this is not saying this is, you know, you're doomed. You're doomed. Brian Kelly's terrible. It's you're going to, you know, finish in last place. But I do think that 2022 you should probably keep your expectations in check for what you're most likely to accomplish considering the lack of change for now in the rest of the division. Texas A&M still being there, Lane Kiffin still being at Ole Miss, Alabama still clearly being Alabama. Maybe Auburn changes, but that chaos is always right there alongside Jerome, so you probably wouldn't even notice that if it did happen, but there's, there's a lot of weird stuff going on for LSU right now. It's it's going to be, it's an interesting offseason. It feels kind of like a sea change, which is going back to Frank Wilson, why I, I think that's probably a good hire to at least keep some sense of normalcy for what's been that with that program, consistency. I uh,
0: One more thing on Brian Kelly. I've trying to think like the to your point I don't have this like long list of quarterbacks that you know he has like gurued and proven I do believe him to be a good football coach and clearly Mm -hmm. having a, a hand in the offense is a big part of that I mean is it is it just the like do you think that his overall impact is probably a little bit more in the You know, idea of an offensive identity more than the like schematics of or the the technique of a quarterback. It's just a little bit more of having a good grasp of what we want to do and the path that we're going to take to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think I I think one
1: thing Brian Kelly deserves a lot of credit for is that he he does delegate it. Like he's not like there, especially at Cincinnati. Like when he was still mostly the guy running everything and he was just he was like he was very spurrier-esque with his quarterbacks it's like you'd be watching a Cincinnati game and like every other series there'd be a different QB out there depending on who he was upset with or who had made you know whatever but since he came to Notre Dame like he's been in charge of a pretty big program and he's entrusted his assistants to go do their jobs and their ability to do it like Tommy Reese is a very young offensive coordinator who had very little experience in fact none You know what I mean? As a coach and he was calling Notre Dame's offense and he had, for the most part, full autonomy. Obviously, the head coach can always overrule something if they want to. But Tommy Reese was allowed to call the offense and he did a very good job. The defense, you know, his coach, he lets his coach his coach. a, I feel like that could be an attractive thing if I want to go, you know, if I'm looking for a job, if I get to go work at LSU and I get to run my own, you know position or my own you know, offense or defense, I think that's attractive. So I think that's where he excels. He excels in being the figurehead of the program. But like he also said when he got down there for the press conference, like when they were asking him about stuff like Max Johnson and the possibility of transferring and all that kind of stuff, he was honest. He says, I I don't know. I have no idea what this roster is yet. I've, you know, He's been the coach at Notre Dame. He hasn't really had a reason to pay attention to LSU's roster situation. So I feel like this is I, – I doubt he really even had a chance – to get to know Max Johnson or anything here. I feel like this is probably a decision that was coming as soon as the coaching change was made. And I think that, I mean, Max Johnson getting to the player was pretty good, all things considered, at LSU for this season. He was was accurate, took care of the football, didn't turn it over much, was playing behind a pretty shaky offensive line for most of the season, lost one of his top players in Keyshawn Boutte, which kind of impacted them. But overall, he's a solid quarterback. Like, You watch him, he's he's very accurate on the shorter to intermediate stuff. The deep ball stuff, he's got, you know, he's he's not great. He's naturally is a lefty. He's if you look at like his heat maps and all that kind of stuff, he's better throwing to the left, but that's expected. And I think that he's he's a guy who's not gonna have trouble finding a home. In fact, I think we kind of can already figure out what the home's likely to be. Is it gonna be Florida State? I think that's what everybody seems to believe. Yeah. I think that like there was twenty four seven had a story up today about uh, both him and his brother, Jake Johnson, a force, the, the four star tight end who decommitted from LSU yesterday too, are kind of, you know, it's not done, but there's a lot of belief that it's kind of like a pat. They're going to both end up at Florida state.
0: So I guess uh, our seminal brothers had to recuse themselves from spilling the beans. Yeah, out you know,
1: but, but and Danny didn't want to leak any inside info and get anybody in trouble. Probably. Probably. <laughs> there's certainly nothing else going on. In there,
0: so, also so, so. Uh, one final note, like, as it, You know, as I'm trying to like audit myself in real time as we record this, I should remember that Brian Kelly's time at Notre Dame include what I would consider the failed attempt to have Mike Sanford Jr. and Chip Long as successful offensive coordinators for the Fighting Irish. Mm -hmm. That impact he's good at delegating, (laughs) and maybe some of the results uh, also had to do with that pre-Tommy Reese era.
1: Tommy Reese fixed the. Yeah, Tommy Reese is a good offensive coordinator. I'll just leave it there.
0: And that's good for Marcus Freeman. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Coming up on the other side, it is awards season. The CBS Sports All America team is live. Tom and I are voters. We can discuss our ballots for that. Uh, you can check it out at cbsports.com. Tom and I are also voters for the Heisman Trophy. We cannot reveal our ballots there, but we can uh, preview the Heisman Trophy Award Ceremony this weekend and discuss the picture, plus a couple of your questions from the big old bag of mail next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. The CBS Sports All-America team is live on cbsports.com right now. You can go and check it out. Uh, the SEC and the Big Ten both dominate the list, combining for half of all of the selections. Uh, real quickly, I'll just run down the uh, the first team. Uh, Bryce Young at quarterback, Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall are your running backs, Wide receivers, Jamison Williams from Alabama, David Bell from Purdue, Brock Bowers, the freshman from Georgia, getting the nod at tight end. Your offensive line, which, by the way, for our team, we do one center and then uh, four offensive linemen rather than splitting by position. Tyler Linderbaum, Darian Kennard, Evan Neal, Iki Akuanu, uh, and Nicholas petit Frere on the offensive line. Defense, Aiden Hutchinson, Jordan Davis, Jermaine Johnson, DeMarvin Leal, uh, the linebacker position, Will Anderson from Alabama, Nicobe Dean from Georgia, Devin Lloyd from Utah, uh, Sauce, Amod Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati at corner, opposite him, Riley Moss. And then we do break up cornerbacks and safeties. Our safeties are Verone McKinley and Jaquan Brisker at special teams. Jake Moody from Michigan gets our kicker. Uh, Matt Ariza from San Diego State at punter. Bam Knight from NC State at kicker turner. Britton Covey at punt returner. And Marcus Jones, the uh, talented return specialist from Houston, who also plays cornerback, gets our all-purpose nod. The unanimous selections, uh, Kenneth Walker at the running back position, Tyler Linderbaum at center, Aiden Hutchinson on the defensive line, Will Anderson at linebacker, and Matt Ariza at the kick returner position. Um, so as you uh, looked at your at this ballot process, you know, let's start with what were some of the easiest selections for you, and did they line up with the final team?
1: The easiest selection was first-team center.
0: Tyler Linderbaum, no question about it. And then I put, Lindstrom, I put uh, Lindstrom from Boston College as my number two, and then it was it, it was easy. That was pro- one of the easiest positions for me to figure out on the entire ballot.
1: Yeah, no, that was uh, – I would have bet any amount of money who, that our first-team center was going to be unanimous, and it was going to be Linderbaum because, I mean, it's not often you see centers get projected as, like, top 10 NFL draft picks, which to me seems wild, but he is that good. Uh, I mean, as far as overall, I feel like the most difficult position was receiver. In fact, I think that you and I should petition our editors from this point to have three receivers in the starting line for the first team and the second team instead of just two, considering that's what most
0: offenses do these days. Um, but that was... Yes. I mean, it's like, <laughs> without a doubt, we should have three. I Like, uh, only being able to list
1: for for the first and second team ballot, only being able to list four receivers was like, Jesus it was i feel like it was more difficult than the heisman
0: <laughs> am i the asshole for thinking that chris alave deserved a spot even though like i don't know he still kind of felt like one of the best wide receivers in the country
1: yeah but he he didn't make my ballot <laughs> and that's like my my four receivers were jameson williams, jackson smith and jigba, jordan addison and david bell yeah it's like I couldn't put all three Ohio state guys on there. And it's, I felt like those other guys all deserved it. it there's that's the thing. There's really no wrong answer. And you can say the same thing about running backs too. Um,
0: okay. So what'd you do for running back? Cause Kenneth Walker and Brees hall uh, were the two that ended up making it. I had Sincere McCormick on there. I had Hassan Haskins on there. By the way, for the listeners, we got to pick four running backs and four wide receivers. And like Tom said, like, good luck trying to figure out like you might feel really good. Obviously, Kenneth Walker was a unanimous selection. He was my RB one. He was, you know, everyone's pick either at RB1 or RB2. But um, I mean, Tyler Algier from BYU, that,
1: like Algier was on mine, yeah. Uh yeah. I did not include Hassan Haskins in mind. He was in the running, but I just him and Coram were splitting duties for most of the season. And he kind of finished strong and, you know, like that five touchdowns against Ohio state kind of really inflated the touchdown total there. Uh, and then
0: the set a record.
1: I know. Listen. No, I'm not saying he does not deserve it. I'm just saying this is one of those things. Cause this is the same thing. They're like a lot of really good options and I can only list four, but like, so Hassan did not make the final cut. And Sincere didn't make the final cut for me either because he racked up a ton of yards and was good. It's just he's doing it against Conference USA defenses. So there has to be some kind of, in my mind, when it came to tiebreakers, there was the SOS component, just like the playoff uses, I guess. But I had Tyler Algier on there in the second team. I had Tyler Beatty from Mizzou on there as my second team. He really finished well for a team that was struggling, and he was doing it against SEC players. Um, I did not have Brock Bowers as my tight end number one.
0: I didn't have him as my number two. I had him in consideration for freshman of the year, but um, there was another freshman that I got gave the nod to. Those awards are going to come out on Thursday, by the way. I had Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina and Jelani Woods from Virginia. That's my tight end one and tight end two.
1: I had Trey McBride from Colorado State as my tight end
0: one, and Bowers is tight end two.
1: It's
0: a lot of, I mean, this this is tough. Everyone talks about, and we're going to get to the the Heisman discussion in a little bit, but. It You have to sit down and, and make some tough selections between very, very good players when you're filling out a ballot like this. Mm-hmm.
1: And I made a decision that, I mean, this was partially, I knew this player was going to be first team because I knew everybody was going to put him on their first team. And I didn't put him on mine at all. Evan Neal. Me neither. I didn't, I didn't put
0: him. Okay. All right, you ready to hear my one through six? Yeah, I'm, go for I'm, it. I'm in all. I'm, I'm ready to get ripped for this one. Uh, Darian Kennard, Thayer Munford, Zion Johnson from Boston College, Max Mitchell from Louisiana, Iki Aquanu from NC State, Nicholas petit Frere from Ohio State. Two from Ohio State, uh, Kennard obviously from Kentucky, Zion Johnson, Ikki Aquanu, and then Max Mitchell from Louisiana.
1: Ikea Aquanu, Darian Kennard, Zion Johnson, Nicholas Petit Frere, Jackson Kirkland from Washington, and Daniel Falele from Minnesota.
0: I just, I don't know if we talk about Alabama's offensive line as being an issue for the entire season. I understand that Evan Neal as an individual is fantastic. And yes, you do have clips of Evan Neal putting some defenders on absolute skates. But if we are judging based on your performance this season and I'm guilty of it too. I mean we've been filling out these All-America ballots for more than a decade. Sometimes I do especially on the offensive line, you know, lean on a little bit more of like talent evaluation, you know, mm-hmm. who's better. But I I feel more confident with this year with this ballot that I I looked at those players that I put on there and I was like, "No, I I saw them individually make a difference in their team success."
1: Yeah, like as a prospect, like When Evan Neal goes in the top 10 of the draft next spring, I'm not going to question it because he is the best offensive lineman on Alabama's offensive line, and he is a tremendous talent and a tremendous prospect. I just didn't think his performance that season kind of lived up to the billing, and that could be because the rest of the line was not great, and he had to you know put out a lot more fires on it. So that's one of the – that's – one of the things that makes it more difficult to evaluate offensive linemen as individuals because it really is a unit that works together ninety percent of the time. Very rarely are guys, you know, just one-on-one situations like that. So it's I like I said, I he's he's a very good player. He's the best player on that offensive line. I just didn't think from what I saw, and you know, when I watch this stuff, that's where I focus. I watch the lines more than anything he was not one of the six most impressive players on a regular basis that I saw all season long.
0: I do think I may have on the defensive line made a mistake by not having DeMarvin Liao on there. That was one I looked at where I was like, ah, I could, I could have probably replaced Sam Williams from Ole Miss with DeMarvin Liao. Like I probably could have, like Kayvon Thibodeau missed a lot of time. Like if I wanted to swap him out for DeMarvin Liao, that would have been fair I feel like that was maybe a miss on my part.
1: That was that was my choice for my sixth, was Thibodeau or Leal. And it was they're both very, 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 very good. <laughs> yeah. Thibodeau missed a bunch of time. Leal's very good. It's I, I went with Thibodeau just because I do think that he is like when he's on the field, that's the only thing the other offense cares about. You know what I mean? Yes. And he's never in the same place. He lines up all over the place. He does so many different things. Like, I think Kayvon Thibodeau is somebody who might be one of the first picks in the NFL draft. He's going to go on to the NFL and he'll be considered a bust by some people because he's not like getting 15 sacks per season. And that's kind of what everybody expects from a pass rusher. To me, he's just a complete defensive player. Like inside, outside,
0: stand up, hand in the ground. Like this, the it was a lot of creativity that they used once he was able to get back into full health. And it was wildly impressive.
1: Yeah, he's like the kind of player who's never going to put up the ridiculous stats, but who's always going to be like probably one of the best players on his defense wherever he goes. But my my six defensive linemen were uh Aiden Hutchinson, Jalen Carter, David Ajabo, Jordan Travis, Jermaine Johnson, and Kayvon Thibodeau. Again, another situation where it's like, well, no, that guy shouldn't be. It's like there's really hard to find a guy and you're like, no, that don't deserve a vote
0: crap did i overshoot did i get over my skis with carloftis no okay all right this is
1: the, again it's
0: like there's a lot of really another, good players that's another like numbers doesn't exactly always uh tie up to what i oh, saw God. when i watched purdue's defense play against some of the best teams in the country and watch him just be an absolute force <laughs>
1: everybody's lining up to get a chip on George Karloftis. (laughs) That's really the the opposing offensive line's plan. It's like, all right, everybody hit that guy at least once per play.
0: Yeah, man's getting triple teams. Come on. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I had Karloftis, uh, Hutchinson, DL1, no question about it. Um, I had Jordan Davis, I had Jermaine Johnson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Sam Williams from Ole Miss. Uh, At the linebacker position, it was really, really easy for me to get to four without even blinking an eye, um, with Anderson, N'Kobe Dean, David Ajabo, Devin Lloyd. Uh, my five and six, I went with Leo Chennault from Wisconsin. And shout out to our Army-Navy watch party. Let's go Andre Carter, outside linebacker from Army. Converted safety, just lighten it up out here. So those those were my six.
1: So you had you Ajabo had at linebacker. Yes. I had him on the defensive line. And this is another thing we need to address our editors about. We need edge position yes. designations for all American team because like that probably costs a job. Mm. and Andrew. it's like, if I'm voting him for defensive line and you're voting him for linebacker, that's costing him votes.
0: So I've, I've got to take here, you know, whose fault it is. It's, it's not Michigan's. mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> Michigan doesn't do a depth chart. Yeah. And that is where I go to check a lot of these position designations is to go to your, you know, game week depth chart. And when it's not there, I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. He was, he was a linebacker. He was an outside linebacker some places. Um, I, yeah. Anyway, edge would definitely be a, a spot where you would have him. Who'd you have in, in your linebacker group?
1: Uh, my linebacker group was Will Anderson. Duh. N'Kobe Dean. Duh. Leo <laughs> Chanel from Wisconsin. Devin Lloyd from Utah. Damon Clark from LSU and Nick Benito from Oklahoma.
0: Yeah. Nick Benito was my, another one that I had right there, uh, on on the edge, and then, uh, or on, on the cutting room for over there, I felt like the the cornerbacks who are the rest of your cornerbacks? Because I mean, obviously, Riley Moss was got to be there, Sauce Gardner got to be there. Um, did you give Jaquan McMillan from ECU any love?
1: No, I gave the AAC a lot of love, though. I got a mod Gardner, Kobe Bryant, and Marcus Jones.
0: Oh, sick. Mm-hmm. Putting Kobe Bryant on there is fair. He was like, Gardner I don't is think, the one yeah. we've been watching for three years and talking about, Co- but Bryant gets overlooked and has been just as important. Well,
1: I mean, that's the thing. Like, Ahmad Gardner is a very good corner. Ahmad Gardner gets avoided by other teams because he's very good. They don't want to throw to the guy he's covering if they don't have to, which means Kobe Bryant is getting thrown at a lot, and Kobe Bryant did an excellent job for a guy getting thrown at a lot. Like he played very well in a lot of pressure situations. And I think that's like, people will talk about that and say that that inflates the interception numbers and it does, but he also made the interceptions while getting picked on. Like this is a guy who played very well. Yeah. He got picked on because the other guy's awesome, but he did really well doing it.
0: So my Jaquan McMillan argument is that the high volume of his past defense his past defended interception count Doesn't include another cornerback that people were trying to avoid. That guy was just making plays, Mm -hmm. great ball skills for him. Uh, And he came up with a couple big ones and some of VCU's biggest wins. Speaking of coming up with uh, huge plays, Verone McKinley was absolutely bananas. Very surprised he was not a unanimous pick. Jaquan Brisker, uh, that felt easy. That is my safety one, safety two. And then uh, I round out the safety position with Dax Hill from Michigan and Trenton Thompson from San Diego State.
1: Yeah, and then I also had Kyle Hamilton. Although I mean, I'm sure he got hurt at the end because he missed the last few games in yeah. the season. But then also Tyke Smith from Georgia, who I thought was very good, who probably did not benefit from the SEC championship game being right before our ballots were due.
0: That is uh, a very very good guess. I gave uh, your your boy Blake Hayes my punter two because punter one was just so obvious. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean Matt Arisa, you you are the easiest uh, first-team All-America punter that there is. Yeah. Any, any other um, you sort of thoughts before we sort of pivot this conversation to the Heisman? Because I think that you know we've, we've loosely hit on a, a little bit of our, our thoughts on this award and this particular year in the race, but I, I want to make sure we hit our, our own uh, CBS Sports All-America team before we take it there.
1: Well, here's a good segue then to the Heisman talk. Who are the two QBs you
0: have on your All-America team? I have Bryce Young, one, and I have Kenny Pickett, two.
1: I have young and Stroud. I will not say which order. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, so here's, here's the way that I, I thought that we could present the Heisman trophy conversation in a way that does not, um, that does not have us violate the terms and conditions of us being voters. Because in my mind, there were six names that I think were sensible selections to make anyone's top three ballot. For yeah, And yes, two of them, I think, are defensive players. Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan and Will Anderson from Alabama. I think that at the quarterback position, you had three names that were all very sensible to show up on, on a Heisman finalist ballot. It, Bryce Young, Kenny Pickett, and C.J. Stroud. And I think that Kenneth Walker III is a very sensible name. There are six names there that all could have a great argument. Put them in any combination you want. And I would be like, okay, all right. That's, you know, you're one of the 900 voters. That's fine for me. And that's why I find it so frustrating when one of the narratives around this year's Heisman race has been how broken the, the Heisman voting system is. Or so I said, no, it, it was a difficult decision. And guess what? When a lot of people have to make these difficult decisions, you're not going to find like all of the exact answers that you individually want because there's a lot of different combinations. I mean, it is a random number generator in terms okay. of what you're going to get with the different combinations of names. Again, six names that to me made sense. And if we had to fill out five spots on the ballot, then maybe you know some of the so-called snubs would uh would end up in a different position. But that's not the case. You can only fill out three. So half of this group of what I think are very sensible and good picks to be on a, a Heisman ballot um are gonna end up not receiving any points, like receiving zero points. It's three points for first place, two points for second place, one point for third place. It's a very simple system, and yet everybody is trying to give out nine invites to New York City, and everybody is a finalist.
1: It's I I wish we could vote for more three players, but we can't, and I don't think they're going to change it because I think that it's a feature, not a book. Because what happens when the Heisman finalists are announced? Everybody goes online and gets mad about which players weren't included so what are they doing for the next few hours talking about the heisman (laughs) talking about the heisman trophy what are they doing on tv talking about the heisman trophy and all the snubs what are they doing online on cbssports.com writing about all the people who were snubbed from the heisman and oh my god i can't believe these damn voters were so out of touch and clearly do not watch the sport do not realize that this guy should have been a heisman finalist no we all agree that he should have been a heisman finalist he just can't be because the way the system is designed it's broken up into re- regions to help make sure that every part of the country gets a voice and it's also kept at three players so that way it keeps it exclusive it keeps people talking about it and it just it's again you're right they like yeah will anderson was snubbed this everybody that you think was snubbed was a snub but everybody who was nominated also deserve to be nominated. And if any of those nominees were not one of the finalists, guess what you'd be saying about them? You'd be saying they were snubbed. So, like, you can be mad about it, and I get it. Like, if you went to the, you know, if you're going hard for Will Anderson and saying that it's lame to have these quarterbacks in there when they're putting up the same kind of seasons that most quarterbacks have always been putting up, but he had a transcendent season for somebody at his position and he deserves to be there, it's a great argument. But there's also the counter argument that no matter how great of a season Will Anderson has, he cannot have the same kind of impact on a game that a quarterback can because the ball is in the quarterback's hands every damn snap. So there's great arguments for a bunch of players. There's a lot of great players to choose from. I think we're all pretty confident we know who the greatest one or the one who's going to win this election is. And that doesn't mean the other players weren't deserving. It doesn't mean everybody who deserves to be there was there. And it doesn't mean the world's going to come to an end, guys. So just calm down.
0: If and when there is a player who seems to have an overwhelming consensus of support, that makes it even tougher for you to get this your side characters in because guess what? Then one is spoken for.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, Chip, but there are a lot of other awards, some that just go to the best defensive player in the country.
0: And guess what? Will Anderson won the best defensive player in the country.
1: It's a pretty good award. I know it's not the Heisman, but it's a pretty big award for the best defensive player in the country. And, and, you know, most of the Heisman
0: voters vote for those awards too. So, you know,
1: it's not like we hate them. Right.
0: Um it's it. It is very interesting, and and of course, pay attention to uh, the Heisman Trophy ceremony, which will be coming up on Saturday night. I think that on uh, when we get back together on Monday, we will have uh, an opportunity to look at the voting and you know see how close some of the the snubs were, what the distance was between first and second, second and third, and I think all of that really reveals uh, a lot more about. The way the voting broke down, uh, but again, uh, it is it is a year where there seems to be a lot of anger, and I think that that anger is uh, is not informed with the Heisman Trophy process, or at least not realistic when you put yourself in the shoes of some uh, some Heisman voters. But I will not reveal my ballot until we get back together on Monday. Also, uh, we will include. A little bit of a a Heisman Trophy preview in our Army-Navy watch party, which you can watch at youtube.com slash cover3. Tom and I will be with you throughout America's game. We will be joined by guests from uh, the Army football family. We will be discussing what's going on on the field, what's been going on with the Black Knights this year. Very, very excited about that. Again, youtube.com slash cover3 is where you will be able to find our Army-Navy watch party It is the first Covered 3 watch party that is official. It is not the first Covered 3 watch party because I think that would be Ole Miss, Tennessee. That was an unofficial (laughs) Covered 3 watch party as we were watching the mustard bottles and the golf balls. But this will be the first official Covered 3 watch party. and, uh, And we very much look forward to it and hope that you join us. All right, let's, uh, let's hit a couple of mailbag questions before we get out of here. First one. All right. Another great year from Chip, Tom, Bud, and Danny. Looking forward to bowl season and recruiting talk. Question. College football has never been a sport with a ton of parity. However, over the last decade or so, we've seen even less with Alabama, Georgia, and others dominating in the recruiting wars. With the three major schools in Florida making hires recently and all three known for recruiting, especially Cristobal, plus USC bringing bringing in Lincoln Riley and with Texas having both Jimbo and Sark, do you think this finally brings balance to the sport as Florida, Texas and California are states filled with talent that have been most often raided by Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State and more? You'd hope so. That's it.
1: <laughs> Like that's it's it's really hard to know. I I that's what you want, because I do think that it's not necessarily parity. Like there's never going to be 10, 12 programs that are legitimate national title contenders, even when they expand the playoff and they've got, you know, an extra field like no more than four of the teams that ever get into a 12 team playoff in any given year. I, I assure you will be capable of actually winning the thing. But the hope is more that it's not just the SEC, like where those title contenders are coming from or from the Southeast. The hope is that the Big Ten has a legitimate title contender or two every year. The Pac-12 has a legitimate title contender or two every year. The SEC has one. The ACC has one. The new Big 12, who knows, but hopefully. So it's like that's what's best for the sport because the more parts of the country that are interested – healthier the sport will be so i i think it's good in that sense like i think a strong usc program is great for college football i think okay. a strong texas program is great for college football i think a strong florida state miami all the florida schools is great for college football and i think a strong michigan along with penn state and ohio state and then you know whether it's wisconsin or whatever is great for college football so i hope that happens but there's no guarantee that it's going to happen now
0: I think that it just simply, on a base level of emotion, makes it more fun because no um, conversation is more filled with anger and disappointment than one of these schools from California, Texas, and Florida falling short of expectations and also losing their recruits to mm-hmm. other programs. When, um, when Ohio State opened up that pipeline to Texas, you know, as Alabama, Alabama's always gone into Texas, um, but when. When we started to see all of those Texas recruits go elsewhere, when, uh, what is it? Isn't CJ Stroud from California too? Isn't it yeah. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, yeah. and DJ Yeah. all from California,
1: Southern leaving? California
0: yeah. yeah, to go to uh to Alabama, to Clemson, and to Ohio State. Like those, that's where I think the Riley one is the one I point to the most. Where you do hope that it will create a little bit more of. Um, Confidence, positivity. Like, I want my college football programs to be chesty. I don't want them to be moody. I want them to be cocky. I want them to be confident and I want them to be boastful because that indicates that you are closer to being able to take down uh, one of these established big dogs of the college football playoff era. And it's just very difficult to generate that kind of confidence when you are losing on the recruiting trail uh, to some of these other teams and falling short on the field. Like, at least, uh, like Texas A&M, to me, got it started on the recruiting trail. Jimbo showed up, and they were already recruiting at a pretty high level under Sumlin, But he was like, "No, we're going top five type classes." Mm-hmm. Then you finish number five in the college football playoff rankings. Then you beat Alabama. Like those, those are the levels that you see. Where I would argue that A&M is way is two seasons ahead of the schools in Florida that were just mentioned, where A&M is going to be ahead of where USC is. USC probably starts competing for Pac-12 championships right away because they already were under Clay Helton, but the national championship conversation is probably two to three seasons away.
1: Yeah, and like you said, USC has an easier path to that. So it's like Texas A&M might be a few years ahead, but Texas A&M still has to get through Alabama. And as we've seen in the SEC, that seems to be pretty difficult for everybody involved. <laughs>
0: 100%. All right, this next question, hitting close to home. Uh, Subjects line, Duke? Question mark. Duke? Duke? Uh, love the pod. Is there any good reason Duke shouldn't hire Jeff Monken? He even no. said He even said he'd run an offense similar to Jamie Chadwell, or are they just being difficult and hard-headed?
1: No, they should hire Jeff Munkin, and they shouldn't hire an offense similar to Jamie Chadwell. They should just run a straight-up option offense. Damn it, that's what I want to see. Now, um, I think that I think Duke is the kind of place where Munkin would work, but I, I, I don't think they're being stubborn about it. I think that there's a couple good options available to him. Like, Tony Elliott's a good option if he wants the job. Mike Elko is a good option. These are guys who are not just good coaches, but kind of fit the culture of Duke. Like, you know, Tony Elliott, I think he's got, he's got like an engineering degree. He's not, he's not just a football guy. He's a brainyish. He's a brainiac guy who coaches football. And then Elko went to what Penn? I know he went somewhere in the Ivy league. So like, these are all smart guys who understand what Duke is as a school and like what the kind of culture is around that. And they're also very good football coaches. So they make, a ton of census hires, as would Jeff Munkin, if you want to run the option because you feel like that's what you could do. But we've seen, like, David Cutcliffe got that team to a damn New Year's Six Bowl. Or was it a New Year's Six Bowl at the time? No, but it would no, be soon.
0: It wasn't, but it was against Johnny Manziel in Texas yeah. A&M. It was not part of the, like, BCS rotation, but it felt big at the time.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you don't... I've long... An advocate for more teams running the option, and I will be thrilled if it happens. And I was, I was happy to see when I was reading about this search yesterday that Monkin was an option and somebody that they've considered and have been considering. But I think that if you're Duke, you don't have to do it. I think it, I think it could be smart though.
0: So, the my first thought, um, when the Jason Garrett name was kind of floated out, I don't really want to. Well, I thought that was going to be, uh, not smoke, but the with the hindsight, I believe that the reasons that Dabo Sweeney's name was linked to Oklahoma because Oklahoma was reaching out to talk to Dabo about Brent Venables and the game of telephone mixed up like they're reaching the out Cowboys. to Dabo. Just, yeah. yeah, and George Edwards, uh, mm-hmm. you know, North Carolina native from Siler City, played uh, college ball at Duke, spent one year as an assistant, but has mostly been in the NFL for a long time. Him and Jason Garrett don't have a ton of crossover with Dallas, but that was my initial read was that, oh yeah, I mean, Jason Garrett might be someone that they called, but it might've been more to find out about what he thinks about George Edwards, George Edwards and uh, the Dallas cow. George Edwards was an assistant for the Cowboys for two years that Garrett was actually a player there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they know each other and maybe Jerry Jones just invites everybody over for a big meal once a year in the summertime and, and they are better friends than what their, you know, what the Wikipedia timelines look like. But uh, I, if I was to place bets right now, the idea that you're going to bring in um, someone who has the desire to come back to their home state, their alma mater, and you know, try to try to be able to continue what David Cutcliffe, um, what David Cutcliffe was able to do, I would not be surprised if George Edwards is the hire. I wouldn't if be surprised had, either. Yeah it feels like the Anthony Poindexter hire at UVA too, where you're just, you're you're going with someone who's going to understand uh, the community and going to be able to assimilate into the um, expectations as opposed to, as I've said this with a, the hire of Brent Venables in Oklahoma, as opposed to hiring the autocrat who's going to fire everybody and try to just do everything themselves. You know, that's that's a decision that normally is because you've spent too much money on a coach that they're going to come in and want to be able to turn everything upside down. And with so much that has worked at Duke, uh, I would imagine that whoever they hire is probably going to try to keep things, um, keep things moving in a positive direction. So I would, I would be, I'd be surprised if it's not, let's see George Edwards, Tony Elliott, Mike Elko, Jeff Monken. I think that's your four.
1: Yeah, I don't think it'll be Jason Garrett. I think that's like I don't know if it's connection to the Cowboys as much as it's just he doesn't have a job, and it's hard to imagine he's going to get an NFL gig next year. So maybe I mean, he's is, he's an Ivy leaguer too. So maybe that's part of the appeal for him of the Duke job.
0: Nerds. Yeah, that, you? if you are a
1: nerd who happens to like football, put in an application for the Duke job.
0: There is some photo on, uh, you know, USA Today Sports Images Getty. I don't know who, but it's it's Jason Garrett and Tony Romo at a Duke basketball game, and boy, that's all you need to be able to have the good photo for the Google search for Jason Garrett Duke. It's just right there. He's like, oh, look, he's already wearing a Duke shirt. Perfect. Let's bring to- the Clapper in.
1: And Jason's like, Tony, you think
0: I should take the Duke job? And he's like, I don't know, Jason. <laughs> oh, man. All right, we will be back with you on Thursday. One hour and twenty minutes of Army Navy locks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we will be doing. Uh, <laughs> our, we will be doing our locks for Army Navy as well as hitting some more news and notes, expectations for uh, what's to come here in the next you know week or so of college football before we get the bowl season started. As of right now, our plan is to split up our bowl locks into. Three weeks in a row, looking ahead to the weekend as well as the early week games. Uh, So be sure to keep your calendar scheduled. And you know what? If you just subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast on YouTube, youtube.com slash Cover 3, smash that bell for notifications, then you know every time we go live, you know every time that we post a new video. If you subscribe to the audio product and you turn notifications on, you get an alert every single time that we've got a new episode out. So make sure you go and do that. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. A fun, long fact
1: for our listeners who made it this long that I just discovered looking up Jason Garrett. Sorry, I'm not just saying. Thank you. Uh, He has seven brothers and sisters who are named John, Judd, Jennifer, Jim, Janine, Jane, and Jill. His parents, Jim and Jane.
0: Amazing. a lot of J's. Do you think that I would get in... uh, I I was thinking about going George Foreman for for Punt 2 and just... (laughs) Punt Jr.? Call him PJ.
1: <laughs> George, no, name of full name George Foreman Grill
0: Patterson. It's a great name. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get the monograms ready. Parker, smock it up. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you.
1: <laughs>